This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Alex Icon explained his formula for growing a YouTube channel to almost 3 million subscribers. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that argues that persistence is more important than passion and how it helped her sell over half a million books. In this episode, you'll learn what is analysis paralysis and how to combat it, how to promote the content that you create, and why you should feature your customers rather than your products when getting PR. Today, I'm joined by Angela Mater from Fitlosophy, which is at getfitbook.com. That's G-E-T-F-I-T-B-O-O-K.com. Angela is the creator of the 12-week series of Fitbook Fitness and Nutrition Journals that shuns the quick-fix gimmicks and instead focuses on mindfulness and gratitude for goal-setting. It was started in 2008 and based out of Newport Beach, California. Welcome, Angela. Hi, Felix. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. So um, tell us a little bit more about your story and what are some of the most, you know, the, the Fitbook is the, the main product, the, the kind of feature product, but uh, you have many kind of different products uh, listed here. So tell us a little bit more about the products that you sell. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the the Fitbook was created back in 2008, um, kind of came out of one of those, you know, necessity products that I wanted to create for myself and and kind of took it from there. Um, But since then, we've really kind of grown from just, you know, the single product, um, but to an entire line of lifestyle branded products that really um, have a goal setting methodology and approach to living a healthy lifestyle. And so that includes everything from, you know, we have obviously an entire line of journals, so not just Fitbook, but we have one more geared towards weight loss or for expecting moms or kids. And we have a a newer journal out um, that is a kind of a fitness meets gratitude journal called our Fitspiration Journal, all the way over to other products. So nutrition products and tools that help you kind of, you know, gauge your portion control and measure progress through your health and weight loss journey. So um, it really has, though, always been circled around um, Fitbook because it really is the core of what we do. You know, everything that we do surrounds this idea of, you know, literally our mantra is live life fit. It's a lifestyle. It's not a quick fix. And so Fitbook is still at the core of everything we do. We've just created a line around it to support people in their journey. Very cool. So can you say a little more about the Fitbook? Like what, what's in it and how do you, how <laughs> yeah. do people use it? Yeah. So Fitbook, like I said, I created it back in 2008. Um, and it, it's a fitness and nutrition journal. So it's 12 weeks and this is the original product. Um, and I say that because we have many iterations of Fitbook since then. But the original Fitbook is 12 weeks. Uh, you, you essentially set goals on a weekly basis. You set rewards. Uh, it reminds you to do different things on a weekly basis. And then you actually track your progress on a daily basis. So everything from your workouts and your fitness to your food and your nutrients and your portion control. It encourages sleeping. It encourages drinking your water. So it really is more of a reflection and a, a, a really personal tool to kind of track your progress through. But we always say, you know, a lot of trackers out there are what did you do? The book mm-hmm. is more what are you going to do? So, you know, the saying like fail to plan, plan to fail. Mm-hmm. The book is all about planning. So, you know, one of our, our sayings is, you know, write it down, make it happen. And there's just so much research behind why writing things down works. I could bore you for days on that, but <laughs> um, really writing things down is what works. Um, and so we've taken that concept, which at the time was very much like, you know, my first trade show it was like an app, like all around me, every single booth around me was mm-hmm. a different app. And yet Fitbook, you know, to this day, we have over half a million of them in distribution and going strong. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, in a world where everyone has an app, everyone <laughs> uses apps, I'm guilty of looking for an app for anything that I want to make progress on. Why, why was it important for you to create a physical product instead? 
Well, you know, I, I knew that there was somebody like me, very type A, you know, person that that really wants to have something tangible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm just a paper person. And I knew if there were people like me out there that there was a market for it. And all the research points to, believe it or not, that paper is what works. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the studies that I, I refer to a lot is by Pew Research. And they found that while most people do use some sort of method to track their health and fitness, they found that... T- uh, that paper is actually the most effective um, tool and that technology really doesn't play a role. They found that the average lifespan of a health and fitness app is anywhere from three to four weeks. Um, So that's pretty short time to see results. And so all the research points back to the fact that paper works. And yes, people ask me, like literally the first question I get all the time is, do you have an app? Do you Mm -hmm. have an app? Do you have an app? And I say, uh, well, paper is what works, but yes, we do have an app. So we do have an app, but it's a goal-setting app. It literally takes you through the process of setting goals. Like if somebody were sitting down with me having coffee, I drill them in a very loving way on what their goals are and why they want to achieve them. And then they use Fitbook to track their progress. Very cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, pen and paper too. You know, like I was saying before, I, I use a lot of apps, but I don't get as involved or I guess I don't get as immersed into the process, whether it be for planning or maybe I'm writing something. Just by the hand of putting pen to paper itself, just feels like it gets you more involved and actually focus on the task. When I have an app, I'm almost looking for the fastest way to yeah. leave it and go do something yeah, else. Yeah, there's so many distractions. And, yeah. and actually, Found that research and um, this really cool article I found on entrepreneur.com, which kind of solidified everything we had ever thought, was this goes beyond your health and fitness. So whatever goal it is you want to achieve, um, whether it's financial or whether it's career or whether it's health and fitness, they did find that um, people are 76% more likely to reach their goal if they actually write it down pen to paper and, and here's kind of the underline and bold, and also tell someone. So it really brings in this idea of accountability. So at Philosophy, we try to not just create the products, but create the accountability mm-hmm. and kind of this, you know, group of, we call them Fitbookers, but I lovingly refer to them as, you know, my customers, which are, you know, kind of all in this together. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk about your Fitbookers in a bit because you mentioned this yeah. a couple of times, but before we get there, um, so the rigid, the very beginning of this, so maybe before that, like, what were you doing? Like, what was your, what, what's kind of your background before you got into this business back in 2008? Oh, geez. Um, Well, I actually, you know, I don't have a health or fitness degree per se. Um, I actually did my undergrad more in uh, computer science side of things and business um, and went into that. But but I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. You know, I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. I've been reading entrepreneur magazines since I was 12 years old. I had to do something in this world. And so I went to a, a conference one time and he said, it was actually Jack Canfield, and he said, what do you spend time doing where you lose track of time? And for me, it was reading Entrepreneur Magazine, and it was um, reading any fitness magazine. And so through this process, I kind of decided I wanted a product in this space. Um, and I came up with Fitbook because it was something I was already creating for myself. Uh, so I actually went into my MBA program in 2005. I already had the idea of Fitbook. Uh, then through many, many programs and projects in school, um, I used Fitbook as a source of a design project, as a, a source of a, a business plan design project, um, also part of a, what else did I do, an entrepreneurship course. And so I was using this idea of Fitbook for all these projects. And so when I graduated in 2007, I actually uh, had already started a marketing company, but the only reason I started my marketing company was so I had the flexibility to start philosophy at night. I started that at night, um, and then I actually went full-time with that in 2008 uh, and officially launched the product. But, you know, now to this day, I do have a certified, you know, certifications in in personal training and fitness nutrition, and we actually bring on really, you know, knowledgeable people to help in the development of a lot of our programs. But, you know, really, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you just have an idea. It's not that you necessarily have the credibility or the even the education a lot of times. I tell people I'm super grateful I got my MBA, um, but you don't need one at all to start a business. Um, It's just a, it's something that you have to do. And that's how I felt with philosophy. 
Mm. So I'm not sure if this is actually an issue for you just based on what I'm hearing from you, but when you touched on the whole credibility thing, I think this is an important point because a lot of uh, entrepreneurs I talk to, a lot of ones that want to be entrepreneurs are thinking about getting started for the first time. There's this uh, feeling that they need permission to get started from somebody else, basically everyone besides them. And mm-hmm. But you know, hearing you talk about maybe you never experienced this issue, but maybe talk about how you kind of get around that or I guess fight that feeling where you need permission or need credibility, need validation from other people before you get started? Yeah, I, I think it's because people think that it's bigger than it really is. You know, when I when I tell people in the beginning, like, it, it wasn't like I thought, of course, I had big dreams for philosophy and, and for Fitbook. But it wasn't if, if I literally thought, well, I'm going to start this company, I'm going to sell in all these mass retailers, I'm going to have hundreds of thousands of people buying this product. If I thought that, it would be intimidating. Mm. But the truth is, you just have to take that first step. And so, you know, if you don't take that first step, you will never even know. And so I was, I remember I was at my first trade show back in 2008. And literally, it's, it's kind of amusing because, you know, it was me and my mom and my designer. Like, literally, we did not have a team. Um, it was just us. And, and I show up and I had at least five personal trainers come up to me and say, oh, I had that idea. I had that idea. And my response, and I'm, I mean this in the most kind way, was, well, where is it? <laughs> the only difference between me and the person that said they had that idea is that I did it. And so I'm constantly encouraging people, you know, if you're not ever going to step out and just try, you'll never even know. The way I get around that personally is my, what drives me, I guess, is more so not the fear of failing, but the fear of never trying. And so I really operate in this space of go, 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 do, do, do. And I may fail miserably, um, but I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of not doing anything at all. Yeah, I think what you're getting at too is just, you just got to get started. I mean, there's really no other way to, no other, I guess, cliche that we can drop here. But if you just get started, (laughs) that's how you learn. You don't learn just from, you know, reading books or reading things. I mean, that stuff helps, but I feel like sometimes we spend too much time preparing rather than doing. And I think that's what you're getting at too is just, just try it out and just get started. Well, Um, I call it analysis paralysis. I mean, you can analyze something till you're blue in the face. You know, just start somewhere. So for me, I started Googling. Like that was literally like, how do I make a book? How do I make a book with binding? Where do I, who will make, so I found out, you know, there are very few people to do this. I started calling people. I mean, it wasn't, I didn't have this whole full smart business plan in place. I just kind of started something. Yeah, well, the, the beautiful thing about what you're saying, too, is that you didn't just randomly start learning a bunch of stuff that you may or may not need. You had an, uh, you had something that you're already working on. You were taking action on it. And by taking action on it, you, it, the things that you need to learn came to the surface. And you could then focus your education around how do I create a book? How do I distribute a book? And like you, you it, made, it, it kind of aligned all of your actions together when you start taking action. So I think that that's a you know, great advice that you're giving. So one, one thing you're saying earlier, though, that I definitely want to go back to is that you said uh, Jack Canfield said to you or said to the crowd that what do you do that makes you lose track of time? Can you say more about this? Yeah, and I I think it changes, you know, through different stages of life. And for me at the time, you know, my world was I'm going to be an entrepreneur if it kills me. Like this was literally my, my, my motive in life. And, and so that's what I spent time thinking about, dreaming about. And the most frustrating thing for me was, okay, well, great. I want to be an entrepreneur. What the heck does that mean? Because if I don't have anything to sell, you know, what am I going to do? Um, but when he said that, I was just like, oh my gosh, my idea of a good night is Barnes and Noble with coffee, (laughs) sitting in the fitness section, sitting in the magazine section, buying, you know, all these business books that I don't even know what I'm going to create a business about. And it kind of hit me, like, if you can somehow combine your passion with, um, you know, something that you think you could make money doing, and I, I think that's the big difference, too. Just because you have a hobby doesn't mean you can make money doing it. And here's the other thing I think that's interesting. It was my hobby and my passion at one time. Um, when it becomes your business, it does take some of the joy out of the hobby because you're doing it every day. I can seriously tell you to this day, I cannot read a fitness magazine now without it feeling like work. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, even being at the gym, I'm like, okay, well, should I be, you know, taking a picture of the product like this, or should I, you know, be Snapchatting this? Or so sometimes what is your original passion? Be careful that you understand that eventually 
in order to make money, it does become work. Mm-hmm. And, and I, but I couldn't be more grateful because to me, it's, it's a natural part of my life. And, you know, what's the saying? Like, you know, if you love what you'll do, what you do, you'll never work a day in your mm-hmm. life. That's how I feel. No, I, I love that, that you say that just because it's a hobby or passion doesn't mean you can make money from it. And when you do start making money from it, it does uh, change relationship, I guess, to that hobby or passion because like you're saying, you have to show up every day. It's not something you just do because now you feel like spending today and you know doing specific things that tomorrow you don't want to do it, but you still have to. And I think that doesn't, I wouldn't say you start losing your passion from there, but you just change the relationship with it. And same thing for me, because I spend so much time, you know, podcasting and creating content. I have a, not necessarily a hard time, but when it comes to consuming content, I don't like consuming as much content as I <laughs> yeah. used to before, because it's just, you spend your entire, you don't want to spend 24 hours, I don't think, on anything, on doing any well, specific thing. Yeah, you burn out, right? And so, I mean, I've been doing this for, I mean, I say I've been doing it for, uh, you know, almost eight years, but the mm-hmm. truth is I had an idea for Fitbook way beyond that. And so, you know, let's say I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, of course, I I find things every single day that invigorate me and excite me. But I can honestly tell you that the entrepreneurship side and the business side of what I do excites me just as much now as the fitness side of mm-hmm. it. Because to be honest with you, you know, in some ways, I am more passionate about people being their best version of themselves. And I don't necessarily think the weight loss is always a component of that. Mm-hmm. So that's how really our products have evolved and, and kind of in how I've evolved as a, as a person. You know, when I first started Fitlosophy, I mean, I was like, had a little six pack and I was doing fitness competitions. And I mean, I was obsessed with the gym. As things have evolved, you know, I still love working out. I love being active, but it's not all of who I am. It doesn't define me. And so you can see that in my latest product, which is called a Fitspiration Journal, which focuses on, you know, more whole life concepts like gratitude and appreciating things and, you know, integrating health and fitness into your life in a healthy way, but not having it be your life. Mm, makes sense. So you had this idea for a very long time and definitely props to you for sticking it out all the way through. You know, I hear all the time people wanting to do things, have ideas for things. And then once it gets hard, they jump to the next thing. It's a very common problem, but you've had this idea for such a long time. So definitely props on that. And funny, <laughs> other funny thing you mentioned was that you basically started a business so that you could work on your true business or your business that you really wanted to, to flourish. So tell us about that. Like once you decided to start this, uh, you said it was like a marketing consultancy. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so like I said, I started off in the, the high tech industry and I was doing marketing and consulting and I was doing it for other people. And, um, I realized that, you know, I could do the same thing with my own clients and start my own consulting company, um, which I did, uh, the same year that I got my MBA and I literally, this is why it's so fascinating. I wrote down on paper how much money I needed to make in in my marketing company to be able to replace my full-time income. Um, I had just landed my first six-figure job at, <laughs> at a advertising agency. My mom wanted to choke me because I said I was quitting my job. But it was just, it was a rat race. I didn't like the hours. I didn't like that I was making someone else just super wealthy and I was doing all the work. And so I literally wrote down on paper, like, okay, I'm going to make this much and I'm going to start my own company. And lo and behold, if I didn't achieve that in the first year. Now, what I will say is I'm super passionate about marketing and branding. And if you spend any time looking at philosophy, you can see that sometimes you know, even even your talents and things you're good at can be seen through your business. And so for me, Fitlosophy was also an outlet, and I looked at Fitlosophy as one of my clients when I had my marketing company. Mm-hmm. So I had all my high-tech company, you know, first my clients, um, but then at night, guess what I did? I worked on Fitlosophy. I mean, I had logos, and I had websites, and I mean, that was where kind of the high-tech background came in, because I could do all the high-tech dorky stuff um, on my own at night, and kind of create this business on the side and talk about losing track of time. I mean, I would work till two and three in the morning. And now I look and I don't even know how I did it, honestly, to be honest with you. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> but back then, I somehow just had this crazy amount of passion for it and, you know, an and amazing amount of persistence, obviously, to have come this far. I guess. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, so you give us an idea of the timeline. So you had a, you just got a six figure job and very soon after that, you quit to start your own company. Was this around 2008 as well or before then? Uh, no, 2007. So I graduated in 2007. Uh, I had, you know, landed that job um, towards the end of 2006. I was there about three months. Um, in 2007, I graduated, quit my job, 
and started Fit Philosophy at night. So I had been working on Fit Philosophy kind of all along, even when I had my job. But what I realized while having that job was, number one, I was miserable. And so I tell people this a lot. Like, whenever I speak to colleges especially, I say, please don't quit your job. Your mom will come find me and hunt me down. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. I knew, like, if you have a job that fulfills you and you're happy when you get home at night, then you have that energy to work on that business at night. When mm-hmm. I was getting I was drained, I was cranky, I was tired, and I didn't have this energy to work on my passion project. So I knew that, okay, well, I can either sit around complaining about it, or I can actually do something about it. So honestly, you know, the more logical, older part of me is like, wow, that was bold. Um, But I continue to be bold in the decisions I make in the business as well. And, And part of that is because, you know, complacency is just not something that is acceptable for me. I can't stay in the same place. And, and you talked earlier about, you know, a lot of people have a lot of ideas, but they don't stick with it. Oh my gosh. Like I, I have a file folder full of businesses that I started or ideas that I have or things that I completely concepted out. Um, the only reason I really stuck with, so to speak, philosophy and fitbook was because I saw an interest and it sold. Um, whenever people come up to you and say, where did you get that? Can I buy one? you decide maybe you're onto something. Mm. No, it definitely makes sense. And I, and I love that you are, you, I've never seen someone, I've never heard someone, I guess on the, on this podcast, at least talk about this middle ground that you're talking about. Most people would say, yeah, you got to quit your job and go in full time. Or people would say, don't quit your job and just kind of stick it out <laughs> to the very end. You're saying that if your job is fulfilling and actually makes you feel like you have energy in the day, then stick with that job because you can still have the energy and uh, the willpower to work on your business after and outside of work. I think that's well, really important point. Like is your income. I mean, you know, and I was in a different place too. You know, some people, I have a lot of friends that, that actually one friend I'm talking to right now about this concept of she hates her job. You know, she wants to quit. She wants to do her own thing, but how did I do it? But you know, she has a baby and she has another one on the way. And so she's in a very different place in life, you know, and, and, and I'm not sure what decision she's going to make, but you know, I didn't have that um, element. You know, I figured if I failed completely, I could find another job. I always thought that way. And so many people, like, you have to remember, I started this company in 2008, which, you know, we all know was the complete downturn mm-hmm. of this economy. And so people were losing jobs right and left. You know, when I graduated from undergrad, uh, people were getting signing bonuses. I mean, I don't I don't even know if they do that anymore. But, you know, I was in the high tech space at the dot-com boom. Um, money was just like, I mean, company parties were insane and sick almost. But, you know, it was very different in 2008. People were losing their jobs. And so for me, it wasn't, you know, this choice of, you know, I would lose control, but I felt like I was going to be in more control. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, if I lost my job, you know, what was I going to do? Um, But if I was starting my own company, I knew that if if anybody um, was to blame, it was going to be me. Right. Makes sense. So you created this product, uh, at least the, the fit book initially, you created it for yourself. You feel like you needed it. So you created it yourself. Did you have to validate it anyway to make sure that there were other, because it sounds like the reason why you stuck with this one was because it had a, you know, it was going to be profitable. It felt like it was going to be profitable. It felt like there was, there was a market for it. So how did you, you know, validate it early on to come to that conclusion? Well, uh, you know, the story goes that I, I created it because, um, you know, for seven years um, leading up to the creation of the product, about seven years through college and high school, I had, you know, multiple series of, you know, battles with eating disorders and body image problems and all these things that made me very unhealthy. And it was through the process of journaling, um, actually through a program I went through. Journaling is really what helped me identify my thoughts and my feelings and and really dial things in and, and get control over something that was controlling my life. Mm-hmm. And so I knew, well, if that worked for me, it might work for somebody else. Honestly, I just made it. And I was at 24 Hour Fitness actually one day and this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, where'd you get that? And I said, I sell them. Now, mind you, I did not sell them at this point. And I said, and he said, well, where can I buy one? And I was like, how many do you want? And he's like, well, how much do they cost? I said, 20 bucks. And he's like, all right. So I went home that weekend. I printed out a couple copies at Kinko's. I had them bound. I bought little pins. I stuck them in there. I mean, I I was like, okay, I can do this. I still have those two $20 bills to this day in my office. Um, And I'm super proud of those. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm onto something. And, And honestly... I'm going to be really clear. I did not create rocket science. (laughs) Like this is not, it's a book. And the reason it sells is this. I I think number one is we don't sell, you know, like any hype or anything like that. 
But we do sell this concept of hope. And people that use Fitbook are hopeful that they're going to achieve their goals that they set out to. We're not the only journal in the market, nor were we ever the only journal in the market. There are hundreds, literally hundreds of competitors out there. The only difference is we actually are the only company that is in the business of fitness and nutrition journals as our core product. And we've created a lifestyle around it. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about this idea of not just selling a book. It's funny too that before we get there, it's funny that you said that you kind of validated this for the first time just being out, out there and in the gym. And this is not the first time I've heard about this either from people, other companies that are in the fitness space where they are wearing their shirt or using the gear, fitness gear at the gym and someone comes out to them and asks them, where can I buy that? And that's when they first find out. It's funny, it's funny thought because I've never looked around at the gym and wonder like, <laughs> what is the next big product? I don't look at anybody know, at the I gym. So whenever I hear that, I'm like, wow, that must be great validation because uh, I never look around to talk to anybody about their products at the gym. So yeah, so you said that I did not, you said that you did not create rocket science. I think it's a really important, uh, I guess, point to talk about because especially for new entrepreneurs that are sitting there thinking about uh, products that they want to create and they started thinking about crazy ideas of, you know, never before seen this or that. But it sounds like you, well, you didn't, you're saying you didn't do that for this project or this product. Is there ever a time where you, like if you were to start over, would you take the same approach where you don't reinvent the wheel or is there a place for you to come in and say, let me create something brand new that no one's ever seen before? Well, it's funny you say that because even though I say, you know, there were tons of journals out there, you know, and I, I really, you know, because I don't want to like claim this, you know, with, because it sounds like really, (laughs) really super competent, but you know, I was having a meeting with my target buyer and the target um, buyer had actually picked up uh, four journals um, that from a competing company. Um, they're a huge company in our space. And I had been in Target for a year and I was owning that aisle. And all of a sudden, this company comes in that has lots more money than me, let me tell you. And they have four journals underneath mine. And I remember seeing it and I wanted to cry. I literally, no, I did cry. I sat down on the shelf in Target and I started bawling. And I was like, this is the end of me. Because at this point, you know, I know we'll get into numbers later, but at this point, Target was about half of my revenue. So you can imagine when a competitor comes in, you're like, oh, geez, I'm out. I'm done. And so um, here's the fascinating part, though. Uh, They didn't sell. Theirs didn't sell. Uh, They actually ended up um, taking all the journals out and Fitbook remained. And here's why. Because I didn't just create something like, hey, here's what works for me and just put it on the shelf and hope it works. When I talk about my Fitbookers, you have no idea how involved my customers have been in creating this product. Everything down to... We want an extra line for exercises. Okay, we'll add an extra line. Um, we think that this is kind of hard like to understand. What do you think about this? I have involved my customers since day one, and, and the overall idea and concept behind the book has stayed very consistent. But I will tell you that involving my customers in this process has resulted in a product that is, from a design perspective, really unique and creative in the way that it walks someone through the process of not only setting goals, but tracking them and then reflecting along the way. It holds your hand, literally. We also don't take ourselves too seriously. Like It's kind of a funny product if you, if you read through it. So I guess my point is, a long point, is that the competitors did actually come into the space, but according to you know this, this talk with my fitness buyer, or fitness buyer at Target, she's like, you really created this space, Angela. Like We didn't even have a fitness journal in our aisle until we met you. It took off and like one of these large companies comes in because they see the opportunity that they missed. And so with that, I think I was really proud of the fact that like, hey, we we kind of brought back this like old school concept of writing things down in the fitness space. And since then, tons of fitness journals have come out. Um, And I don't like to knock any competitors because honestly, I want people to use what works for them. But I'm super excited that what we're doing is opening people's eyes to, you know, apps aren't the only way. Diet pills are not the way. Like, this is something that is proven to work. Give it a try. Awesome. Yeah. So one thing you said about involving your customers early on, I think this is a great point too. So how do you get feedback from your customers? Like, what are you doing? And then uh, the second point to this is how do you know what feedback to take versus, you know, what not to take? Yeah, well, that's always interesting because I, I, you know, I think the bigger we've got and, you know, the the feedback, you know, the kind of the funny feedback, like the emails, like, 
we literally, the, my funniest customer service email was on our website a long time ago. It said, you know, it's pint size, easy to tote around and toss in your gym bag or your purse. And I get an email from a customer, I kid you not. Um, she said, I want to return my Fitbook. It doesn't fit in my purse. <laughs> and um, my assistant um, at the time was my cousin. I mean, she was in college. I needed help. She was helping me. She's like, um, and I want to tell her to buy a new purse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yes. Um, but in all seriousness, you know, early on it was easy because, you know, we had our email list, which literally started out with like my friends and family and people that I went to school with and stuff like that. And obviously it grew over time, but I did surveys, a lot of surveys. Um, I've done a, done a lot of user groups. So like uh, we'll do Google Hangouts and ask for people's input. I also will have um, like on-site groups where I bring in Fitbookers and ask them mm -hmm. questions about products and usability and things like that. So we have a lot of different ways of, of asking people things. But what I've learned is this far in, though, if, if I were to change anything dramatic about Fitbook, I would probably make more people mad than I would actually make people happy. Mm -hmm. So with that, we've started developing new iterations of Fitbook. So for example, um, you know, Fitbook was very uh, 12 weeks, uh, sets and reps in the gym, the person that knows what they're doing in the gym. Um, we went ahead and created a product called Fitbook Lite, which was six weeks. And it took a more entry-level approach to reaching goals because not everybody knows sets and reps at the gym or pounds weights, you know. And so this was more um, four healthy tweaks to lose five pounds in six weeks. And so it made weight, weight loss a lot more achievable. And then on the other complete side of the spectrum, we just came out with a product called Fitbook Prep, which is um, in partnership with Nicole Wilkins that actually is for the hardcore figure competitor, somebody that's really into that bodybuilding space. And so we've started developing out these products in these niche markets so that we don't upset our original customer. Because I'll be honest with you, I have people that have literally used Fitbook for eight years and ha wow. still have every single Fitbook and they post pictures of them. And so I am more loyal to them than a new customer that's like, hey, you need to do this. And I'm like, no, no, no. These guys have been with me for a long time. <laughs> no, I, I love this though, that you said, you're saying that rather than changing the existing product because there's so many, I guess like legacy, not legacy, but there's so many users or so many customers that are already used to the way that it's been done before, you created a new product. So how do you know when it's time to, because you're saying as well that you have iterated the Fitbook over time. So how do you know when that line is crossed where you're saying, no, what, let's not change the existing product. Let's create a brand new one for this other type of customer base? Well, a perfect example is, you know, we have Fitbook and then um, I, I name them all. I don't know why it is probably the tech background in me. So we have Fitbook 2.0. Fitbook 2.0, which people don't know this, these are internal names, but we had to change it because we had the food pyramid in the Fitbook. Well, everything from food pyramid went away. So we were mm -hmm. outdated. People were upset. So we went more to this. We actually created a concept similar to my play, but we call it our food philosophy. We had to make a change on that. And so we asked customers at that time, what do you want? And we realized that there were, you know, people were like, well, you have space for cardio, but you don't have space for classes. And we're like, oh, that's a really good point. So we added that. Um, we Anything that made sense and where we felt like these are customers that have really good input and, um, you know, adding extra space for exercises while keeping the integrity of the product or, you know, people wanted to originally add space to track calories. And I was adamant against that because, you know, I, I, counting calories was like the death of me when I was um, battling kind of my issues with eating disorders. And so I wouldn't put anything about calories in there. Um, so I would say no. So there were some standards that we just said, no, this is what Fitbook is. Mm -hmm. um, but fast forward, you know, our Fitbook prep that we just came out with, it does encourage counting your macros because, you know, frankly, somebody that's competing at a high end athletic, um, you know, competitive part of the sport, you know, they have to be tracking those things. And so we really try to separate them so that we encourage the user to, um, you know, regardless of their goal. I like that. I think it sounds like you kind of based on what is the goal of the customer and yeah. if it can't be achieved with that same product without changing it too much, you create a new one. I think that's a great approach. So one thing you were saying earlier was that you don't sell a book, you sell hope. And this is another thing that I think you said to, to us in the pre-interview portion, which is that people don't want to be marketed to, they want to be inspired. So I think these two are very closely, uh, I guess two, yeah. two quotes that you say that are very closely aligned. So tell us a little bit more about this. Like, What do you mean by you know, not selling a, a book or not selling a product, but instead selling this kind of feeling of hope? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I'm in a very special market <laughs> called health and fitness. And while I love that because I have an opportunity to have a different voice, you know, I'm not proud of the industry and the message that we send people. 
you know, happiness is having a six pack, you know, happiness is feeling good in a bikini and looking like this, you know, whatever this definition Mm -hmm. is of what healthy is. Um, And so we really try to change the conversation from, you know, basing your happiness and your health on what the world thinks and instead, you know, being the best version of you that you were created to be. And so we really try to, to kind of step outside of the product sale. I mean, almost to a fault. Sometimes, you know, I'll be talking to my marketing girl and I'm like, oh, we haven't posted a picture of a product in a while because we love to inspire people, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I think that if you can inspire people and tap into like what they really want to be and who they want to be, it, you know, there's this one saying, you know, you know, aim to be a value, not of success. And, and I want to add value for my users. And so you know, you have to couple that and marry that in a smart way um, to sales, because obviously at the end of the day, we're not running a nonprofit here. But, you know, what drives this business, in, in my opinion, is the fact that the products work. If all I need to do is inspire people and convince them that, you know what, there is another way. And you don't have to be what the world thinks to be happy. Um, I, I believe that they will want more of where that came from. Um, we try to do that through whether it's just, you know, inspirational images. We post a lot on social media to blog posts. You know, one of our recent blog posts was, you know, reasons why you should toss your scale, you know, because there are so many other reasons to lose weight. But health is number one, not looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, changing this conversation has really been, I think, a key differentiator in creating a different conversation within this industry. I love that. So in terms of marketing uh, the, the business, like what, what has been most successful for you guys? Has it been the, the social media or, or what, are, what, are, what other, I guess, mediums have you used to, to market the business? Yeah, I would say, you know, early on, because I, you know, it, things have drastically changed. <laughs> uh, you know, when we started this business, we, we, me and my dog, um, when <laughs> I started the business, uh, there was no social media, believe it or not. I know that makes me sound really old. <laughs> But we didn't have social media. And so we started out with email marketing. You know, other ways that we've um, decided to market the business, obviously, is through social media. Email marketing is, you know, a huge part of, you know, how we actually retain people and actually nurture our relationships with people. So um, it's through content. So blogs are huge for us. Uh, We do SEO. Um, We've seen a lot of success with that um, because, frankly, if people can't find you, um, <laughs> they're not going to buy you. Uh, you know, one of our most successful ways early on um, was PR. And when I say PR, it was literally Angela packing up a red box and finding the name of editors and sending it to them and hoping that they would feature it. We got some early wins pretty early on, um, you know, with some magazines, got some placement. And so that really helped spread the word. But, you know, fast forward to today, um, we really do lead heavily on email marketing, content marketing. Um, and a lot of uh, SEO. Cool. So yeah, email marketing, content marketing, SEO. So let's start with email marketing. You mentioned that you use the email marketing a lot to retain customers. So tell us a little bit more about how do you use email to do that? Yeah. So here's the cool thing about our product. If somebody buys a product and then they're like, okay, what next? You know. And so we have this opportunity to help them. And so we use auto emails so that, you know, so let's say somebody receives a Fitbook like maybe a week after they receive it, we're like, what's your goal? If you need help setting a goal, try out our app. It's free. So we kind of nurture them and say, hey, get your goal. And then a couple weeks in, we say, you know, great job. Keep going. How's it going? Connect with us on social media so you can be part of the Fitbook family. And then, you know, six weeks in, halfway there, we really do nurture them through the process of using our product. But let's say they buy one of our products, let's say um, our food scale or our snack stack or anything like that. Um, we will send them recipes or we'll send them, you know, information that not only just gives them the product, but actually gives them useful information for how to use the product. In that way, you're kind of nurturing them through the process. That's an awesome point because I think when a lot of us think about email marketing or creating some kind of email campaign or autoresponder you're talking about, we think about hitting the recipient with as many things as possible, as much content as possible, as many things, other things to buy as possible. But I think what you're getting in, and I've heard of this as well, is to help the customer get the most value out of the product that they just bought from you and getting that them to realize the value of it and get the most out of it, that's how you 
you win the customer, not not by bombarding them with more things, but help them get the most out of what they've already bought from you. And it sounds like that's what you've been doing, which is based on what they're buying, helping them get the most value out of that that particular product. And I think that that's a great, great, uh, great move. Yeah, and I think one thing to that too is it's it it obviously makes sense because we love our customers, but you know, from a complete business and logistical perspective, it costs way more money to acquire a new customer. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of your cost per acquisition for a new customer. It's a lot more expensive to acquire a new customer than to keep an existing customer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the challenge and the opportunity is using, you know, thinking about, yes, getting new customers is great. You want to spread the word, but how do you nurture that existing customer so not only do they continue buying from you, but they actually spread the word about you as well. Yeah, that, that's that's an awesome point. So how do you actually get these people onto your mailing list to, to begin with? What are, what are some strategies that have worked well for you? Yeah, uh, so we do, um, well, we do a lot with Shopify. I love Shopify. So our blog is a huge source of traffic um, from a mailing list perspective, meaning that we'll offer content, um, you know, we'll, we'll post a really yummy looking recipe on social media or in an email blast. And, you know, we'll, we'll post it on the blog and then they'll get all the recipes on our blog. Well, when they get there, obviously they're encouraged to sign up. We also do special free things, a lot of free things on our website. So for example, every month I release a new uh, calendar. It's just a printable calendar. Well, you go to giftbook.com forward slash calendars and you can download our monthly goal getter calendar. Obviously, we want your email address when you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have different landing pages for why people come to the site. But, you know, I, I'd be honest, like the, the best and most effective way we've actually upped our subscription rate is when people first, you know, go to getfitbook.com and they land on our homepage, we've tried, we're trying every month, actually, we've been doing this for about four to five months now, is testing a different offer to see what drives subscription. So we've done everything from testing, you know, 10% off your first order to free shipping on orders of $40 or more, or get a free, you know, recipe book if you sign up first, you know, so what we're really doing is identifying what is converting and not only that, but what is converting those um, newsletter subscribers then to customers? Mm, I, I love that. I think the A-B testing, like the way you're doing yeah. it, is key, right? Because you can you can always have a new kind of winner and then find new ways to beat that winner over and over again. Over time, you're just going to increase your conversion rate for, for emails and, of course, for sales as well. Yeah, free shipping, just by the way, free shipping trumps all, almost all the time. Um, it's just a little heads up for you, any of your listeners. Um, people want free shipping. And in the world of Amazon, it's almost the only way to compete. Now, what we've found is to make it profitable, underlined keyword bold, is to make sure that it's on a certain dollar mm. amount. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that, that's thank you. Keep on doing yeah. that. I think those are great, great gems dropping there. Cool. So now it comes to content marketing. You guys, you do post pretty consistently on on the blog, you know, at least looks like at least once a week. So how do you know what kind of content to to create for the the blog, especially if you're turning out so much, you know, so much content? Oh, you're making it sound like we're so strategic. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's called, you know, I will be reading a magazine and have an idea. Can't read magazines. I'll have an idea or I'll be on the set at the gym and be like, oh my gosh, we have to do this. And, um, you know, I do have, you know, early on, I was the only blogger and I love to blog and I had more time. I wasn't managing near as much. So I would blog literally, I think every day. It was amazing. Um, but honestly, I think it was a huge reason that we got a lot of traffic because blogs really do drive traffic. Um, now, as time has gone by, I've hired um, somebody to oversee our marketing. Um, we have a blog editor now. And so they really work on putting together a content calendar a month in advance. Uh, we look at things like, you know, today is National Bike to Work Day, for example. So we have a, bike, a, a blog on biking to work. Um, even if you don't have a bike, here's how you can participate and how to be healthy at work. Um, but we'll look at events coming up. It also will revolve around, you know, any kind of things that are going out in the industry. But we really try to do consistent things. Like we, fe- we feature one fab fit booker every month. So we know consistently we're going to do that. We try to post one kind of recipe article or post a week. Um, so they really do a great job of creating that, that calendar. But I'm still very highly involved in it because I want to be able to, you know, curate good information that is very, uh, what do you call it, relevant to our followers. But I'll be honest, they've done a phenomenal job and I just kind of oversee it now. So it's, it's, um, it's been really great. Yeah, that that's um, that's great that you now have a team working to help you create this this content. So, are people just discovering the the blog through through like the SEO and just through Google searches? Like, how are they coming across these articles that you're putting out? 
Well, we, we obviously promote them to all of our email lists. Um, every time a blog is posted, it's auto-sent to uh, to our email list. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do another follow-up a couple days later, like, hey, if you didn't see this. Uh, well, we also use social media as a really key driver because on social media, people, I, I don't feel like people want to be sold to on social media. They want to engage and they want to create a relationship. Mm. And so we will do things like, number one, we inspire people daily. Like we literally post a motivational quote or something like that every single day. However, um, what we'll do is we'll post an image of, you know, the recipe or the workout. Like I think today's post was a picture of me and my bike. Um, But we'll say, you know, you want our four tips to stay fit at work. Go to givethebook.com forward slash blog. And so what we do on social media is we give them something and we try to give them some content and say, if you want more, go to our blog. And so we really use our social media to send people to the blog. We'll also do giveaways on the blog. And so what we, you know, we try to do that so that we engage people on the blog in a very more, you know, intimate way than we do say on social media. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that that's the the key step that sometimes people miss. You know, they spend so much time creating the content, but the promotion is the key, right? Because people are not going to come across it unless you're actually pushing it out there. So that's great yeah. advice, you know, putting it out. Especially, like you're saying, people don't want to be sold to on social media. So that's a great time to, to or not a great time, but a great opportunity to to post content because content is not directly selling it, but it's still, right. there's a tie back to your, your, your business itself. Well, um, and one of the things that I've seen be super effective, just to, to throw this tip in here, um, and I've noticed this on certain pages that I follow, like on Facebook and social media, is there's this curiosity factor. And so we've started things like, uh, you know, one of our most popular blogs is like the one, you know, food hack you're not doing in the kitchen. Well, if you read that, you're like, what am I not doing? (laughs) I have to read this. And so then we send them to a blog and we give them all these ways to use a food scale that you didn't think about. And so it's not necessarily, hey, buy our food scale. It's like, hey, did you know you could do this, this, and this? Um, and so we really try to add value more than just sell. Yeah, I, I love that, that that title that you're talking about, playing on the curiosity thing. And I, I'm a big fan of that too. I love having those kind of headlines because it really does pull a lot of psychological levers that get people to, to take action. You know, sometimes when people are doing things like that, you hear a lot of people being people complaining about, oh, it's a clickbait kind of title. But for me, I always say like, it's not, I don't ever consider anything clickbait if it actually provides value at the end of oh, yeah. the, the day, right? If you're clicking through and you're learning something and getting something out of it, please clickbait me into clicking on your article. Yeah. If I'm getting oh, something out of it. Oh, it works. I'm a, such a sucker for it on Facebook. No, me too. What am I not doing? <laughs> yeah. So what, one uh, one other thing that I think you mentioned was about uh, about PR. So you, you you I think, told us this before the, the podcast, before today was that rather than focus on promoting the product itself or the business itself, you focus on promoting your customers, your fab fit bookers. So tell us a little more about this, I guess, this different approach to to PR. Well, and and I'd be lying if I didn't say I don't love the product placement too. I mean, and and that's been our strategy from day one is like, hey, put the the book in your, your holiday guide. Um, but that's been done, you know, and, and we love every placement that we get, don't get me wrong, but what has been really fabulous is seeing our FabFitBookers get this opportunity to share their weight loss story in a really big way. I mean, we had one FabFitBooker, Megan, uh, she is young, super inspiring. She's lost over 60 pounds. Um, no, actually 80. I correct myself. She was featured in the New York Post and she was also featured in Women's Health Magazine. Um, it went, vi- it was huge. I mean, the hits were crazy. I mean, I remember seeing our followers on the Instagram blowing up, but I couldn't figure out why. And it was because of New York Post picked it up. But aside from the fact that she used Fitbook, you know, she got to be the star of the story of her life, losing this amazing amount of weight. I mean, she was 23 when she was a college athlete and she um, literally had heart disease and went through a procedure and she knew she had to lose weight. And fast forward, you know, she ends up losing 80 pounds. So she's super inspiring. And I love that her story is told. Um, Actually, just this month, uh, one of our Booker's uh, Trisha, she was featured in Good Housekeeping magazine, and she's lost 140 pounds using the book. And she literally has her life is completely different. She runs marathons, half marathons. She ran one ultra marathon, all these triathlons. Their lives get to be the story that inspire other people. And so when I talk about PR, it's not 
necessarily quote unquote profiting off of their success, but it is putting them at the corner point of the story where they should be. Because the truth is the book is just a tool that helps them get there. They're the ones that did the work. And so I love this because that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. You know, just because you see a the book and it's twenty two ninety five at giftthebook.com, that's not inspiring. That does not change lives. But seeing, you know, Trisha, who lost 140 pounds, seeing Wayne, who was an alcoholic, who overcame his disorder, his alcoholism and lost 70 pounds, seeing Megan, who lost 100 or lost 80 pounds, that is what inspires people. So that really has been our, our approach is to really put them where they belong. And that's in the spotlight. Yeah, I love it that you you're on a first name basis with all your with a lot of your customers, and it, it's so true, right? That that there those kind of stories are way more interesting than just talking about the product itself. Even if you have an amazing product, I think the personal stories are always going to be much more interesting and much more relatable. And it's going to be very hard to be a better salesperson than your happiest customers, right? They're the ones that are going out there have way less of a biased kind of view. I mean, they love your products, of course, so there's bias there, but hearing from someone that's just like them, that's been in the same situation as as them, as you know your, your other customers, and hearing about their success because they've used your product, I think you can't get a better kind of, you know, I don't want to turn it just a sales message, but they're going to be doing a selling for you way better than, than you could yourself. So, you know, after all this, you know, after all of these uh, kind of uh, marketing uh, strategies that you've used successfully, to give us an idea, how successful is the business today? I think you mentioned earlier that there's 500,000 fit books in circ- I guess that have been purchased since the beginning. Over, over half a million. I, you know, I don't have an exact number because, I mean, literally we're in production at least every month. And so I, I know we hit the half million mark um, actually towards the beginning of this year. Um, we are in Walgreens, Target, uh, Amazon, Vitamin Shop, and obviously we sell on our website as well, as well as, you know, select other, uh, you know, small gins and clubs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, successful is such a, you know, <laughs> big term. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the way I look at the company is that we continue to grow year over year. And, and a big part of that has been our website. And so, um, you know, I see that as a huge success. So, Angela, I know you have a, a feature coming on Entrepreneur Magazine. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh so in the June issue, actually, they're doing a feature on our switch to Shopify. Um, they have this column called The Fix, and it's essentially an entrepreneur that had a problem and how they solved it and then the result of it. And so they're actually writing the article about our switch to Shopify in June of 2015. Um, and just to kind of give you an idea, uh, we actually saw 119% growth from Q1 2015 to, to Q1 2016. 190% growth year over year in sales. Um, and so it, it's just been a huge part of, you know, our success as we move to more of this direct online growth strategy. And uh, so, yeah, they're doing a whole article about it. I got to do a photo shoot, everything. It was so much fun. That's awesome. So in June issue, I guess it'll be out by the time this podcast is out. You know, speaking of Shopify, what kind of uh, tool, other tools and apps either on Shopify or off Shopify that you use to help you run the business? Yeah, absolutely. So Shopify, uh, we do a lot of integrations. That is partly why we chose it. Um, MailChimp is a huge part of our email marketing strategy, obviously. And and MailChimp is obviously a leader in this space. Um, And so it integrates. So we use email marketing with MailChimp. I'm a huge fan. It's actually really funny to use, too, if you've ever used it. Um, Other apps that we use on Shopify specifically is we have... Um, product review features. I we added that because product reviews is a huge part of why I buy things. For example, like on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, I'll always look at reviews. So we have that. Um, we also have Refersion. Uh, Refersion, R-E-F-E-R-S-I-O-N, is our uh, affiliate system. So we can get our users who love us talking about us. Uh, we have an app called Pressify, which actually. Uh, creates clickable, buyable links from our press placements. So, for example, the press placement I was talking about with, uh, you know, Trisha, who's talking about Fitbook, will show the press placement. And then over on the right, Pressify actually pulls in a link to actually buy that product that was featured in the article, which is really cool. Um, You know, other integrations that I could not live without, QuickBooks Online, um, that was a huge reason why we actually made the switch, you know, to Shopify as well, was the integration with QuickBooks Online was huge. Anybody that's using the desktop version of QuickBooks, please switch for the love of God. (laughs) QuickBooks Online is the coolest thing ever. Um, 
From an app perspective, uh, one app that I literally don't think I could live without, we use it internally for our team and it's free, is called Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O. Love it. Now, everybody talks about Slack, and frankly, I'm not smart enough, I don't think, to use Slack yet. I've tried. I've really, really tried. Trello is so easy for us as a team. So we manage all our projects. We all manage um, our uh, marketing calendar, our team calendar. We manage our in, you know own personal to-do list, everything through Trello. Um, it's amazing. We also use Google Docs. We use um, Insightly. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but Insightly is a CRM for small business. And so, you know, there's Salesforce and all those, but they're super expensive. Insightly is extremely affordable. It integrates with your email platform. It makes CRM possible, like I think for the small business. Um, and then, well, obviously Dropbox and we use OneDrive, um, which is actually a Microsoft platform. We actually all run Macs internally, but we do use OneDrive as our internal sharing system for, you know, remote, remote basically file management. Very cool. Yeah. So one one other thing I want to talk about here, which was uh, again I think discussed before the interview, was that you said perseverance trumps passion. And you even said went as far as to say passion is overrated. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like you know what what, what what's your I guess perspective on this whole perseverance versus uh, versus passion? You know, I, I guess I say that because um, you know I I have a ton of passion. I ooze it. <laughs> you know, uh, but passion is not what pays the bills. You know, passion is something that can um, grow thin and it can wear out over time whenever you're not seeing the success that you want to see. And so the ability to have perseverance is the only thing that gets you through. And, you know, so so many people are like, I'm passionate about this, I'm passionate about this. That's great. But is that have, does that have longevity? And so I, I always say, like, passion is super important. It's, what's get you, it's what gets you started. But perseverance is what gets you through. Cool. So let's say there's a listener out there that says, okay, uh, okay, I, I know I need perseverance and Angela's saying I need perseverance. So how do I get more perseverance? Like what can you do, I guess, to work on, on being more persistent and being more persistent when, you know, times are rough? You know, um, I, I was asking my team about this cause you, you know, I wanted to prepare for this and, and have something wise to say. And <laughs> one of my, one of my team members said, you, I know what your superpower is. I'm like, I did not know I had a superpower. What is it? And she's like, never take no for an answer. And that is so true. Um, whether it's in a meeting with a buyer, whether it's a you know conversation you know with anyone, whether it's a vendor, a customer, a client, an employee. When I say take no for don't take no for an answer, it's not that I, that I always get in my way. It's that there is always a better way to figure it out. And so I, I don't think you can teach perseverance, but I'm also in the school of thought that you can't teach entrepreneurship either. Mm-hmm. I think there are key philosophies and key, you know, strengths and key, and, you know, there are a ton of things I'm not good at, Felix. Like, I mean, I, I, we could spend all day telling you all the things that I'm really not that great at. But I can tell you that, you know, you can't tell me to stop. Like, you can't make me quit. If I, if I choose to, I may, I may decide like to go a different direction with the business. I might decide to, you know, create something different or new, but you can't tell me I can't do something because that's just not the way I think. And so I don't think that's something that you can be taught, but I guess my advice for anybody was, would be, you know, just as adamant as you are about, you know, wanting something in your life, you have to be able to put that equal amount of work into it because it does not happen overnight. I think so many people see, you know, the the logos and the places that were sold, and I'm so proud of those, and I'm so so honored. Um, but they don't see all the hard work and the nights that I literally cried myself to sleep, or that I couldn't pay bills, or that you know, all. I mean, I would go into a meeting with a buyer and be told no, and then told yes, and it's it's this roller coaster. And you either have perseverance to handle it, or you don't. And so, you know, my advice is if you want to do this, you know, buckle up because it's a crazy ride. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I think, um, I think though, if you do want to ever work on a skill or there's a skill that you want to build, I think it just comes down to doing it as if you already have it 
And then it's like a muscle, right? Anything, anything yeah. that any skill you have is like a muscle. The more you work it, the more you can get better at working. I think the same thing with perseverance. If you, I think when it comes for you is just never take no for an answer. Start doing that. When someone says no to you, don't just be, okay, I guess I'll try something else. Don't do that. You know, try to find ways to, to make it work. And then as you do that more and more frequently, I think that's how you build up the skill of perseverance. You know, definitely some people born with more perseverance sounds like you definitely were. But if anyone out there that doesn't have, I think you can work work on building as long as you keep on, you know, just doing it essentially. Agree. Cool. So, you know, thanks so much, Angela. So what, what's uh, what's in store for the remainder of this year? What kind of plans, what kind of goals do you have? I know you have, you probably have this all written down somewhere. So <laughs> what kind of, uh, what do you want to, what do you want to do this year? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I think one huge thing for us has been, you know, what what gets the most attention is our, you know, placement in our, our mass retailers. And I think I mentioned before that, you know, at one time Target was 50% of my business. And that's not a good thing. Just for anybody listening, that's not a good thing. Because if Target pulls your product or Target is struggling in the marketplace, which they actually are right now, you know, that has way too much of an influence on sales. Um, so kind of the way that we're, you know, approaching 2016 and into 2017 is actually diversifying our channels pretty dramatically. And so part of that was actually our switch to Shopify last year. Um, you know, historically, our online sales, just our direct online sales has been about 10% of our revenue. Last year, it was 15% of our revenue. And this year, our goal is to forecast it to be 20 to 25% of sales. Um, it's actually the largest growing segment of our business is our online sales. And here's why it's important, I guess, for anybody listening. As you know, our margin and our profitability on any of our online sales is dramatically higher than anything that we're going to do through Walgreens, Target, Vitamin Shop, Amazon. So we're really diversifying the business in a new way. And the other thing is, I love this because with this kind of new model, we actually have a lot closer connection to our customer because somebody that buys the fit book at say Target or buys the Fitspiration Journal at Vitamin Shop, they don't necessarily know who Philosophy is and we don't have the opportunity to market to them. Um, so we now have this opportunity as online sales is, is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our revenue to actually nurture the customers in a very, you know, more intimate way. Awesome. So getfitbook.com is the site. That's G-E-T-F-I-T-B-O-O-K.com. Anywhere else you recommend our listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with what you're up to or what you're up to with the business? Yeah, and um, you can find Fitbook, F-I-T-B-O-O-K, uh, on Instagram and on Twitter and on Snapchat. Um, we also are Fitbook by Fitlosophy on Facebook. Um, you know, I really recommend just connecting on our website. If you go to getfitbook.com forward slash try it, we actually have like this free download so you can kind of see what the products are. I don't try to sell people on anything that doesn't work for them. So I love giving people a glimpse inside our products and say, hey, try it out. I love it. Yeah, I'm just taking a look at this now. I think um, I think anyone out there should look at this because I think it's a great way to get someone involved in your or I guess someone get a customer more under, get a better understanding of the value of your business without actually having to buy a product. So I think uh, it's a great example for anyone to check out. It's just uh, getfitbook.com. Try it on the top. Thanks again so much, Angela. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.